this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Built-in microwave, semicolon. Design, volume one. All right. We're calling it volume one because we actually have a lot of opinions about design. Uh, yeah. So this is going to keep coming up over and over again. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, you know, volume one. It'll, yeah, it's fine. So this one is about design and some of our favorite designers and our favorite things and least favorite things about design. Yeah, I've got... Um, I've got a lot of complaints about you people, and now you're going to hear about them. To <laughs> quote my uh, one of my favorite uh, Festivus <laughs> so scenes great. from uh, Seinfeld. Anyway, um, yeah, no, I, I, there's, I mean, design is a problem, right? I mean, it's it's something that we're constantly like, you know, everybody's striving to uh, perfect and mm-hmm. get better at and yeah. solve problems with, and you know, it permeates our whole existence. So. Yeah, I uh, when I was making notes for our conversation, um, I was thinking about how to define what design is because mm-hmm. I think it really sprawls. It gets really sprawly. But um, at any rate, I went to Wikipedia because that's usually a good starting point to find references. Yeah, at least. Right. Um, and there's interesting things on Wikipedia in and of itself. I mean, I didn't mean to bag I, on that. No, I mean, well, here's an inter- interesting question. Like, would you consider Wikipedia like a a cooperative design effort? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I looked on the wiki page for design or designer, actually, um, uh, it states that uh, a product, any product, um, let's see here. I'm kind of fucking this up. Um, so anything that's not a naturally occurring substance, essentially. Like anything that people put their hands to to make it do a thing or solve a problem or whatever. Like right. that's an act of design. Right. Like you can't argue that a tree is an act of design. Although if you right. created a bonsai, then now we're... Yes, that's a super good example. Right. Um, uh, So uh, from Wikipedia, uh, they cited formally um, two folks, last names Ralph and Wand, who uh, defined a designer as an agent that specifies the structural properties of a design object, which I thought um, really captured how I think about designers. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, I thought that was pretty neat. So a designer is an agent that specifies the structural properties of a design object. In practice, anyone who creates tangible or intangible objects, products, processes, laws, games, graphics, services, and experiences is referred to as a designer. Mm-hmm. Um, so this whole thing that I have about like no act of creation being too small, yeah. like anytime that you're making something, you're designing the thing, you mm-hmm. have an, you have a starting point in your mind when the thing doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. And the act of creating it is the act of design. And what you end up with is the design object. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I studied ethics, I think 
about ethics all the time in relation to whatever else I'm thinking about and the design and like the ethical problems associated with design um, drive me nuts. Right. Right. Um, Only because design is so ubiquitous. Like you're surrounded by it. Things that are super abstract that you're not even aware of you're interacting with them have been designed that way on purpose. Right. Um, All of the time. So you, there's, tangible evidence of design and then there's there's design that is going on unconscious in the background and you're just sort of responding to it or it's responding to you Mm -hmm. um so the thing that kind of drives me nuts is when people do a bad job of specifying the structural properties of an object Mm -hmm. because when something doesn't work right Right. When you need a thing to solve a problem and you use the thing, you apply the thing to the problem and it doesn't work, mm-hmm. you now have two problems. Right, right. Um, and I made a note here, cheap plastic crap is killing everything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so our relationship to the designs that we interact with mm-hmm. seem largely thoughtless or careless. Right, right. Which makes me nuts. Right. And um, I think well-designed objects usually stand out from other objects in ways that are noticeable. Like sometimes, but not always they can be more expensive. They're Mm -hmm. usually made out of more durable materials because you're only supposed to have to get them once and then not have the additional problem of where am I going to get another? The lifespan of that product is considerably longer than a, you know, disposable item. Yeah. So like, uh, like, half the time I can't tell if a product was designed with a specific use in mind because when I use the object, Mm -hmm. it operates so poorly or solves falls so short of solving the problem I'm trying to solve that I, I immediately put myself in the shoes of the person who designed it. And I can't, sometimes I can't even imagine what was going through their head or how it passed the editorial process because it's so bad at doing the thing. Yeah. I am, this process, I, I mean, this is something I kind of think about. Um, uh, one of my design processes, or you know, as a software developer, um, what I've my work my work cycle mm-hmm. typically revolves around. Um, I'm most effective when I have good, strong feedback, right? Yeah. And so, one of the reasons I like developing software is that I can set that up. This, the computer tells me immediately how dumb I am, <laughs> constantly, right? Yeah. Until finally, it's like, okay, you got it this time, and it's this really rapid cycle, and I don't need to worry about. Um, now, it's, I'm strictly speaking about um, software problems that I'm trying to solve, where I know what the outcome should look like. This isn't a situation. It, it gets a little fuzzy when it's like there's other users involved, right? So if I'm writing a, if I'm writing a function for myself and it's really clear cut, it's like, here's data coming in mm-hmm. and now that data needs to look like this going out. Then it's really clear to me that my black box in the middle that's transforming that data. Um, I know, I know my parameters of how it should function. Mm-hmm. And so my development process, my design process is pretty quick. It's like, Think you know? I'm already have something in mind because I've done this a while. So it's like, oh, I already have something in mind. Write that code. Immediately test it. Immediately get feedback from the computer. It's like absolute, right? It's like quite um, binary. It's like yes, you did, or no, you didn't. Yeah. Um, and so that that's like the kind of ideal situation in the sense that it's like you can't get it wrong. It's like it's right or it's wrong. It's fine. You know, there's this is a real easy. It's not always easy. It's it's very easy to know if you're right or wrong. Um, and 
I'm thinking about like the design process that we live in, in the world where it's like in our society, um, I really globally at this point, like our problem is that, um, oftentimes I think these products are, you don't, if you're designing a pen, right? You're like, I'm going to sell the next Bic, right? And so you're designing this pen and your, your feedback from the process is really limited. It's slow compared to how fast you can produce it and put it out there. Um, there's not a lot of time for an evolutionary process of being like, Hey, you know, I made these pens and this is the feedback I got, you know, and this is where I, I can see it in action. You know, that's one of the things like when I do consulting, it's like one of the things that I try to do is be like, let me go see the users interacting with either the software I've written or the software that I'm like, you know, being asked to replace, or let me see the process they're doing now that you're asking me to like enhance somehow. Yeah. You want to see how they're actually, yeah. Let me see what they're doing. Like, it's all great and fine for you to tell me, you know, secondhand or like you be one person and you're, you know, you happen to be the hiring manager and you're complaining about this thing and you want this thing fixed for you, for you. But it turns out that a hundred other users, that feature you want me to like get rid of or like hide that makes your life miserable is actually crucial to their functionality. Right. Right. So it's, um, I think that's kind of a, there's a broken feedback loop a Mm -hmm. little bit in Mm -hmm. our certain, you know, especially in a disposable society, no one who is making these plastic pens is then sorting through the garbage and being like, wow, 90% of these pens are thrown away with like 90% remaining ink and are completely functional. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. It's like, so, well, that, is that a design problem with my pen? Is that some other problem? You know? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm just kind there's, of, I think there's like, a, there's layers there, right? Or there's intersecting problems. Like right. there's the problem of the willingness of people to discard things that they don't need at, at any given time. Like sure. it's not even, will you need this in the future? So maybe hang on to it. It's like, eh, I don't need this. Drop it. Mm-hmm. Like a, like a kid with a toy they got bored of. Right. Like literally where you're standing <laughs> garbage from your, but like what was a useful tool in your hand is now garbage on the floor. Yep. Um, like, one example of this that drives me nuts is when you uh, like you, ha- I think of things in terms of like solve the problem process flow, right? Like, mm-hmm. okay, I have a problem and my problem is that I'm thirsty. And so now I need to figure out how to get like liquid from out in the world faucet wherever, right. Right? right? Plumbing is designed to bring water to you. Sure. Yeah. So you walk over to your faucet and you're like, Hopefully. now I got to get it from the faucet into my face. Like you can bend down and you can slurp out of the faucet if you want. Right. But it's not great. Like it's summer and you're you're six and you're running around in the front yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just go outside and drink out of the hose. Right. Yeah. So like, you can put it in a cup though. Right. And if the cup is durable and it's made out of some material that doesn't break down over time or like poison you in the process of degrading or whatever, like sure. if it's resilient, right? Um, you can hang on to it for a while and use it over and over and over again, and right. it's great because at least you know you've got the cup problem solved but you could solve that problem of the cup a different way by making it out of a piece of paper that's laminated to a piece of plastic so Mm -hmm. that it will hold water just just liquid just long enough so that it won't leak all over you right and you're going to make sure that it doesn't splash out the top with another piece of plastic and then you're going to stick a piece of plastic down through the center of that piece of plastic that's on the lid right so that you can extract the liquid inside the water and as soon as it's gone Throw the whole contraption away. Throw the whole contraption away. So, like, there's a bunch of problems here. Like, there was the initial problem of, I'm thirsty. I need a way to get water into me. Right. And then, if you 
finish with that with the original cup. Mm-hmm. You wash the cup, you put it away. Done. Right. If you get the plastic cup, well, paper cup laminated with plastic, right. you can't recycle it because you can't separate the plastic liner from the paper cup. Right. So that renders that a piece of garbage immediately right. in the landfill. Mm-hmm. The lid is made out of a different type of plastic, which right. might be recyclable if you are anywhere near any place that takes recycling. Right. And that's like locally. And there's a way for you to reasonably get it collected from you to go. Right. To that, right. That, yeah, exactly. That was going to be my next thing. Right. So like you put. I mean, at some point, even if your intention is to do that, if you get in a car and now drive 15 miles so that you can go put your one piece of plastic, you know, like you get my yeah. point is it's, it's like it's cascading series yeah. of problems right. and negative results or negative effects. Yeah. And I don't so, think that's even solved necessarily by saying, oh, we're going to have a collection point where now there's a train of trucks that come by and pick this up and take it over there. I mean, there's diminishing returns like all through the, anyway. Yes. Like, this is so, something that's well studied. So. Like all of these design choices, like any time that you see something that wasn't just there because it showed up by itself, right? Like yeah. anytime you see an object that somebody made, they made it on purpose. Right. And I, I can't, I struggle really hard and I just can't forgive these design choices that are made to cause multiple downstream problems for everybody, not Mm -hmm. just for the end user, but like when that plastic crap floats out to the ocean and kills marine life and it's floating in a giant garbage patch, like that's a problem. Right. And your problem when you're done with the cup is what do I do with this cup? And you just offload that problem into the garbage can for the next person who has to deal with the problem of the garbage to come along and deal with. Right. Like I just, it's unforgivable that we know this ahead of time and we continue to knowingly create things that cause large and small scale problems all the way into basically eternity. Like it drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I mean, I've thought it's about totally this. unethical. It is. Um, like I, I, this problem is sort of, I feel like sometimes I would, I would describe it as sort of an emergent problem. Yeah. Um, in the sense that when you look at individual entities that are like involved in the process of like, you know, to kind of stick with like the big pen process just cause it's something everybody's kind of seen and, or to stick with your cup problem. Right. Yeah. The problem is that, um, or not the problem that the emergent problem that I see is that, um, there's the person who's solving one particular problem, like the person who designed the cup. Um, there's nobody, nobody is paying or incentivized to, um, think in these broader scopes when they're doing like, right. When I, a hundred percent of my clients have always, are always trying to minimize the cost of my services. And so, um, it's, I, it's very hard for me. Like, you know, it's impossible for me not to think about the ramifications of, you know, someone who's like very self self examined. It's like, I'm constantly thinking about what are the, what are the problems with the things that I'm doing? You mm-hmm. know, what am I causing? Like, where's my impact? Like what's going on? Like, am I writing the software for this person? Like what's the problem? I mean, it doesn't, you know, I also need to like eat and live and, you know, I do the best I can, but it's like, um, what I'm getting at is that companies don't want to pay. They don't even want to pay for me to write the software that they want in a good way. Yeah. Like they don't want to pay for, um, they, they don't like they, they demand industry standard. They're like, you know, standard, like best practices. That's what they demand. And then I say, okay, 
that's what this is what they are this is what it caught you know this is this is time and money is your situation here they're like great that's what we want and then literally two minutes later they're like okay but it seems like if you don't do all of this stuff that's best practices you could get this done sooner yeah and then they don't want to pay for anything else and so then i'm left scrambling to make my you know to to ride that line where it's like well the software is as good as it can get for what you're paying for and so i think that a lot of times um there's that's the incentive 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 right Mm -hmm. so you get shitty plastic cups right like i mean even a lot of the solutions now i think the problem is it's like oh well now we have a pr problem because people want people are people are aware that there's an environmental issue and there's this impact right so people are trying to buy um products that are better people want to see things that are eco and green and and so that becomes a new marketing ploy and it becomes this the incentive is well i want people to buy things that's their only that's the only thing that's really driving it as far as I can see. Yes. Regardless of whether some individual is like, well, I want to be ethical and I want to do this thing. And they might be a small business owner and they're trying their best. Right. And then they go out of business because they can't compete because the, the trend is like, Oh, but this other person overmarketed their eco stuff. And it turns out it's, you know, basically it's it's eco friendly but it's not really like it's still plastic it's just less of it right it's like oh my plastic bottle <clears throat> lids now have a third less plastic yeah but that sucks too but because now like, the i'm process selling of twice as it. many bottles oh, well yeah or three times as many or 10 times as many like even more people are buying bottled water than they were before like that's the it, it's sort of this fallacy where my grandmother used to kind of point out that she's like if you get the low fat pie, it doesn't mean that then you eat the whole pie. Yeah, right. It's it means like, that in the <laughs> it means that you still have one piece and you cut some calories, right? Right. But instead, I think a lot of the times it's like, hey, you know, a lot of these things, it's like, oh, we'll buy our product and feel less guilty about it. So buy more. Yeah. So get more big pens and throw more of them away because they're all biodegradable plastics, which again is like even if they are really biodegradable and there's really no problem, there's still all of the hidden things that they don't, you know, they don't have to dispose, you know, discuss the fact that it's like, okay, that particular pen doesn't become garbage later, but all of the other process around it, the, you know, the 10 tons of plastic that's used to, you know, form it or what, you know, like that's, that's waste in the process before it got on your doorstep or whatever it is. Um, I mean, I don't, none of this is factual. I'm just, my point being is that, um, I think it's a really hard problem because the industry or the industries that I've worked in both in manufacturing and in software development, um, and biotech, like there's just no, um, there's no break from the, like, that's fine. Other people can worry about that. Is this a PR? Like, is mm-hmm. there external pressure for me to do this? Mm-hmm. No, then I'm not doing it. Right. I can't afford to. Right. That's the climate we live in. They can't, you know, they can't afford to, they can't afford to get it. Like they can't afford to pay me to do better. Like they can't afford f- for me to spend more time doing the right, doing it the right way. Yeah. They're like, what's the quick way? What's the quick and dirt, dirt way, you know, dirty way. Like, you know, do that. So, um, I, I don't, I feel like I've kind of derailed what you were talking about. Oh, um, uh, not necessarily. Okay. I, mean, I just, my whole point is that if you're knowingly making something that goes anywhere from causing a bit of unnecessary difficulty to somebody in the use of the thing to being like toxic to people in the sure. environment right. and living things like on the end, 
I think that you just should have some kind of like response. You have a responsibility not to do that. And if you know that you're going to continue to, if you know that your product causes problems and you continue to do it, do it, blah, 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 you're yeah. culpable. Right. But who, I mean, that's why I think that's kind of my point is like, there's nobody. So it's a whole series of choices made over and over and over. Right. All down the way. Yeah. I guess it's, it's just, we don't have, maybe that's more of a cultural problem. I mean, at least in maybe. my, my peer groups, I don't know that we have, a, I, I, I think as like a sort of, um, you know, basically like, most of the people I know they would like, they'd like to think of themselves as like sort of morally like aligned with their, their own internal compass. And then also like, you know, doing those things and they don't work for a company that's bad. Well, I like the company I work for because we don't do that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, or I like, you know, I like what I do because I'm not contributing to that problem. And I think, um, that's kind of a privileged position of being like, you know, it's the same reason that's like, Oh, I can be really upset about a cyber truck because it's really upsetting. Right. It's like, you know, I can feel really like morally just and fine about the things I'm doing. You know, I mean, because I buy the, you know, the less toxic plastics or I get the BPA free thing or whatever. And it's like, you're still buying plastic. Well, right. And the choice, like this is all of the BPA is is a small problem in the world of like issues of, of disposable goods. Right. Um, and also just, just in an issue of like, I guess what I'm getting at is it's like, it's, it's also hard when you're like living paycheck to paycheck. It's like, you know, you're also like, okay, that's all fine and good. I might be dying from cancer and I could live through it, except I don't have access to healthcare. And my issue right now is losing my job. Yeah, well, right. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. I mean, it's not, I'm not, I'm just trying to it's kind of unfair. put it in the scope of like. Well, it's unfair. What my point is, is that yeah. it's unfair to foist all of these problem decisions on mm. the end user. Yes. When the yeah. creation of the object, the people who get, are responsible yeah. for creating it are right. aware of the problems that it causes for the end user. Right. And that is where the, this whole like illusion of choice comes from. I kind of think about it like if you're thinking about, um, like I, I you don't only, disagree with that. Like, you have I, I to wash your agree. clothes, right? You got to yeah. wash your clothes. Right. And so you are well, geographically located in a place. Some and of then us there's wash like, them more than others. But yeah, yeah. Digitally located. You're yeah. financially located. Right. And so because of those constraints, those yeah. sort of like abstract right. co-locations, you have a range of choices, right? Mm-hmm. But there could be five choices ranging from great to very bad, mm-hmm. or there could be five choices that are all terrible. Right. Either right. way, you don't have any say over what set of choices you get when you arrive to make a choice about consuming something. And if, yeah. they're, if they're all designed poorly, that's not the fault of and the person consuming them. Right. And that is kind of a, like a horrendous, place that we've kind of arrived at right it's yeah like, it, you know it's upsetting to it's me like, <laughs> to kind of i uh, you know like when i go to like you know a big box store to buy office supplies mm-hmm. it's upsetting how how many pens there are to choose from and they're all the same and they're all shit yeah like they're all just terrible pens that are and it, it, like we got this pen from when we went to the space conference yeah. um uh, I wanted they, to talk about space design. Yeah. So we, um, when we went there, we, you know, there's promotional pens, right? Like somebody, 
somebody who was promoting their company because there were companies there saying, Hey, like, you know, yeah. and, and and it's not, this isn't a slight against the person who made this decision to buy this pen, like to get the logo printed on this pen and hand it out. Right. I was also glad to have a pen. It was yes. great. It did write mostly. Um, the problem was, you know, I'm looking at this pen and it's like, whoever designed this pen, it's not about the design. It's like, I, this is where I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. Mm -hmm. Someone has decided like there's some kind of feedback loop where a pen started with, it's a ballpoint stick, you know, it's a stick yeah. with ink in it yep. that flows down around a ball and gets laid down on paper Right. to now it has this like plastic casing. That's like, I looked at the, you know, I'm looking at this thing and it's like, there's, there's four different screw on parts of plastic that screw on that are different colored plastics. Right. So all these components to it, have to be engineered. And none of those components were structurally important. I could take them all off and the pen was still functional mm -hmm. because they didn't, all they did was add color yeah. and shape. Right. Mm -hmm. And none of those shapes were particularly germane to like say how you would normally hold a pen i'm not saying that someone might really appreciate that particular so shape it wasn't like ergonomically excellent or no anything. it wasn't like oh i see why they put this here i mean and maybe it's a little gimmicky but it was like no the reason they put this here is surely to look a certain way that to me i'm like that's a hideous pen anyway i can just see how bad it is like it's right. just um you know it doesn't have any of the features that like none of those are added features they're just weird shapes feature creep feature creep, right um and so uh i forget where i was going with this so my frustration with this was that um or my my issue with this is that i wonder what is driving those because i look at like you know when i'm looking in the big box store and i'm looking in the office office super depot max machine thing mm -hmm. and you know and i'm looking at the hundreds of pens all on a wall and it's like depressing like overhead bright lighting and i'm wondering why anyone ever walks into a big box store ever again um, horrible yeah and uh, you know and the employees are like it's not even their fault i'm just like f i can just feel the sort of like sadness of being in this environment and um <laughs> And, you know, and I'm feeling sad and depressed about my life now. And I'm like looking at pens and I'm trying to be excited about getting a pen. And I like have something in mind that, you know, it, my idea of like the pen that I want is that it will write and it will have ink and it will be tubular and it will be of a normal length and it will fit with the rest of my pens. Right. You know, and I'm like, yep, they definitely have all of those. And yet all of them have like this one has ridges. This one has this special, like when you think about it, it's like literally like how many different ways can you design a plastic tube? Well, if you start adding more, like more parts plastic to the <laughs> more plastic crap to that plastic tube, it's no longer a single plastic tube. It's like four different injected parts that now have to be assembled. Right. Like I'm, I'm wondering that's not cost effective from a manufacturing point because now there's another right. assembly step if nothing so, else. So it can't be about the money. <laughs> so, but it must be because it must be about, but it will sell more. And I just feel like there's something about, um, cause they're not doing it. I, no one's sitting around being like, you know, this, no one redesigns the big pen because they're like, we need to, you know, we're, our sales are doing amazing, but we just want to have a redesign. It's like, we're doing a redesign because we're going to try and boost sales. So right. this is an aesthetic problem. I have to assume. I mean, it's basically just, you know, the evolution of big pens. It's like, oh, well, look at the, like they used to just this be black of, and white. You know what I mean? This reminds me of like auto manufacturing. Sure. And I saw, oh man, I saw a BMW and I saw a domestic American car. I can't remember what it was, mm -hmm. but they looked almost exactly alike. Right. I and mean, it, which I found really crazy because 
again, I can't remember what the make and model of the American car was, but it's nowhere near how much that BMW cost. No, and I think, I mean, that's exactly the example. I, I think I'm what I'm getting at here is, mm-hmm. and this is my own perception, and it's probably totally bullshit. Um, I'm sure someone on the our audience is going to get all upset and outraged and write terrible comments, and I hope they do. Sweet. Um, just tear me a new one. Um, I think the issue is that, uh, or what happens is that there's... Um, there's somebody who's like, you know, who's the car designer, right? Like there's a, yes. a, a entity. It's not necessarily one individual. There's an entity who's like, okay, you know, we're going to go, we're, we're going to make some changes to our car. And then they're going to look at the market space and they're going to be like, Ooh, last year, a lot of people were buying BMWs or maybe it's not that BMWs were particularly sold a lot. It's like someone got a, you know, somehow they decided that, um, that, that look, mm-hmm attracts people it's like oh we want to start raising the price of our car say yeah like okay well we need to make it start looking like cars that cost more yep and so then they you know they're like well here's what we can do it has nothing to do with the actual functionality of the car they're just like we're gonna you know give it this curve or add this extra those fucking halo lights that go around the headlights you know that kind of thing (laughs) yeah it's like i mean it's all like the thing about that is like on the one hand it's all fun and fashion and great but on the other hand it's like the consequences of driving consumerism in that way yeah where it's like oh but i have to have a new version of it it's sort of um it you know a lot of this boils down to like as we sort of reach the kind of capacity of our planet to support life here we're running out of the like the luxury of like we can all have a fucking ridiculous car every year a new one and we can have little fucking you know well mine comes in red yeah did you get the red one? Did you get the extra four liters of, you know, engine volume or whatever? You know, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just sort of like at some point we can't, I mean, it's unsustainable, right? I mean, it's, and yeah. that's, um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, there's so much, of uh, um, car design that is so I think, regurgitative. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am kind of excited about, um, I think that... Are you going to say it? What are you excited about? What? No, you tell me. I thought you were going to say something about the Tesla truck that everybody's so upset about. Oh, no. I have very strong feelings about the Tesla truck, but very I'm not... Strong. I'm undecided. I just know I'm very angry. Yeah. Do I like it? I don't know. Do I not like it? I don't know. I'm just very angry, and obviously, I need to just say a lot about that. Right. Um, but everybody know how upsetting it is that this is a truck, or it's not a truck. I don't know. <laughs> Someone tell me what to think. Ultimately, um, we're just upset. Ultimately, we're just it's upset. It's caused an upset. Yes, right. There has exactly. been an upset. Yeah. If we were looking at a timeline of like pop current events uh-huh. in America in 2019, somewhere at the end of November, there would be the Tesla truck upset. <laughs> right. The Tesla, tr- the, the Tesla truck controversy. Controversy. The Tesla truck controversy. War on trucks. The war on trucks. The war on trucks. I'm pretty sure this was the first major salvo. Oh, I like it even more. Okay. Well, I want to put a pin in that because what I was going to say that I'm excited about is yeah. um, the, uh, I think 3d printers seemed to um, really spark some imagination in a lot of people. And I really like the, um, I like the idea that people might have a lot more control over their own individual design in their own life. Yeah. Um, obviously 3d printers aren't at the level where it's like, I can, 
you know, if like in an ideal world, it'd be like, here's, here's all the matter you're ever really going to need. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, here's 16 cubic feet of matter. Yeah. Right. Or let's go with meters and I'll move into the metric world. So like, you know, here's 10 cubic meters of, of matter for you Mm -hmm. and you have a, a maker machine. Right. And so whatever you can dream can come out of that matter. Right. And if you need more than that for a particular project, then you better go find a friend and you guys can get together. And now you have 20 cubic meters of matter that you both can share in your joint project of using that matter together. Right. Sure. Um, that's like kind of that. I mean, it's obviously not possible currently and it's also very reductive. Um, but, I think it's a useful kind of thought experiment in the sense of um, where product design particularly will start to, um, I hope, I think we're already seeing it a little bit, will start to um, be moved much more directly by people because people are going to be like, fuck your pen, fuck your big pen. This is the shape I want. Right. Someone else is like, that shape is fucking awesome. I got it now. And now we're no longer beholden to a company who said, well, I did some market research and I decided that people really what they want is an extra bit of plastic on the end because that's what that other pen looks like that other people had. Yeah. And they don't really realize that it's like, yes, in the short term, there was a fad that everybody wanted a plastic, you know, a plastic pen with a plastic cat on the top where you push the tail of the cat. Right. Yeah. It's like, that's cool. And it's cute, but it's not a sustainable pen in the long term of the sense of like, Hey, this should be like the office pens that everybody has, or this should be, okay. Now I'm, now I'm shooting myself in the foot a little bit because obviously having like cat pens in your office is yeah. what everybody needs, but everybody needs a cat pen. In their yeah. Office. Like that where should is be the standard. Cat I need the cat pen. It should be the standard. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think my point is a little hand wavy, but my, I think what I'm trying to get at is that, um, uh, having that ability to, um, be more self-directed and more deliberate about the things that actually work in your life. Like you were saying, like, yeah. you know, when you have a tool and you bring it to do the thing that you acquired the tool to use it for and find that it's woefully inadequate, yeah. um, or is, made out is, of materials that are right, just sure. guaranteed to cease to yeah. function or exist or perform the job right. within several uses. I think oftentimes that's a problem of, um, there's also that sort of imitation, right? I mean, it's kind of the same way with like a BMW, like, you know, an American car being like, are, you know, are the American cars going towards the BMWs or the BMWs going towards the American cars? I don't know. But the issue is that um, they're indistinguishable at some point. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, there is kind of this, um, this problem of being like, okay, well, you know, everybody wants the, like the $10 fancy pen that's uh-huh. got an aluminum tube. And so it's like more resilient and everybody likes it and it's refillable and it works great. And so then someone's like, Ooh, I can make a plastic one that looks just like that for five bucks and sell it. And so then a bunch of people end up with the shitty pen because it's like, Oh, well the plastic one breaks or whatever, you know, it's, sure. it's made of paper or something and it just sort of, it's stiff for the first 10 minutes and then it just crumbles and, you know, crinkles in your hand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, that's the issue is, um, sometimes I think you end up with, um, inferior products because they're, they're copying the visual element. Yeah. The aesthetic, the aesthetic of it and without the content, right? The function. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the reasons that I find, um, I find that, that still carbon fiber, uh, I don't know what you call it. Carbon fiber printing. It's not, it's not carbon fiber. It's the pattern. Carbon fiber pattern Uh on shit is maddening to me. 
Oh, because it's not actually it's carbon not carbon fiber, fiber. <laughs> yes. and so right. you know, and it's and the, and so it imply it's a lie, right? It implies that this has some value of the carbon fiber, you know, whatever carbon fiber was supposedly has. It's beyond like, the aesthetic, yeah, yeah, beyond the aesthetic. It's like it's not the aesthetic. It's that that's carbon fiber. Like, look, I have fucking sweet carbon fiber parts because it does this thing or whatever. It keeps it really light. Yeah. No, what you have is regular old plastic that has this like faux carbon fiber. It's the same reason that that faux wood printing on stuff drives me nuts. Yeah. Like if it's not wood, why, why do that? Why not just embrace the material you have? It's beautiful. Yeah. You know, like there was this, um, this phone came out, uh, I think it was in like 2012 or 13, 2012, maybe. So Nokia, um, before they, Nokia made this phone, the mm-hmm. N9, and it had an operating system called Mego on it. And they were really excited about it because it was an alternative to Android. And they're like, we're going to have this open system or this open source operating system. And we're going to make this phone. And they made this phone called the N9. It was a beautiful phone. Um, it had a lot of really great features. The design of it was like well thought out. I was super excited about it. I bought it. I mean, this is like the story of my life. Like I see things like that. And I'm like, this is what I want. Mm-hmm. And so I get it. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I have to be an early adopter because now is the first time in my life it's even available. Great. And so, you and know, you've been waiting and I've been waiting. I'm like, Oh, you know, someone else thinks like me, like this is a really well thought out thing. So I get this phone literally like it shows up. And I think a week later, Nokia announced that they were partnering with Microsoft to do the Microsoft phones, which of course was a bad choice, but it killed the N9. They're like, okay, well we're not doing any more Amigo development. So they obviously, you know, I had a phone that worked but it's life's it's lifespan was real limited already because it was never going to get like updates and it didn't have a lot of the functionality. Like, you know, there were things, it just never got any better. Yes. And there, there weren't, I couldn't buy more of them later. Right. Um, you know, eventually there were, I mean, I still have it. It still works as far as I know, but, um, things were out like batteries and stuff, but, uh, where am I going with this? So <laughs> the thing about this phone was that, um, I, it's that, it was like a really like solid design, but then they made this, you know, there's this upstream decision that they're going to partner with Microsoft, which everybody saw as a bad idea. Like I, I, they probably, a bunch of people had windows phones for a while, but who do you know who has a windows phone? Uh, nobody. At I think point. it's dead. I don't know. I mean, it's pretty close to dead. Yeah. It was a pretty short time. I mean, it was 2012 and we're like 2019 now. That went fast. It went real fast. I mean, basically that was the, like the last gasp, right? Um, you know, Microsoft was like, we're doing this and then meh, nothing. Um, so, and that sucked obviously because, you know, now, now Nokia makes, um, they make Android phones, but they're not as good as that one. I can't remember the name of that designer, but I did, I did watch him give a talk about the design of it. And one of the things that he was like really considered about it that I really appreciated was that, um, it's made from polycarbonate is the, like the, it's not aluminum or anything. It's just yeah. polycarbonate. And he said the reason they chose that, so they chose um, the colors you can get. The polycarbonate is, uh, it, the coloring is contiguous, like it's a solid block of like mine's blue. So it's blue all the way through it, right? Yes. And so the nice thing about that is like if it gets a nick or a scratch, you don't, there's no paint that comes off. The color is there. So you don't, A, you don't notice them as much. And B, it feels, um, it feels like, something that's going to last it's like i don't mind that it's worn down a little bit here it hasn't it's do you know what i mean like it doesn't feel it's like people refer to that as like developing a patina right and the other nice thing about it is that i felt like he embraced the material that he chose to use he wasn't trying to pass it off as something else it wasn't made to look faux metal 
Yep. It wasn't, you know, he was like, nope, this is a good material. I chose it and I'm happy with it. And here you go. And I think you should like it too, because it has all the properties that you want in a phone or Mm -hmm. in a, you know, and I was like, I mean, the nice thing about it was like, really, it did not need a case. That's awesome. Right. I mean, it wasn't, and it wasn't like on the level of like, it would probably still break if you dropped it from 50 feet or something like that. But most cases aren't going to protect you from that anyway. But it's, it's, it was nice because it was like, I wasn't. I wasn't so worried about it. It was like just a little bit tough, but it wasn't this massive bulky thing like a, like, I don't know if you've ever seen those like Panasonic tough books or whatever that basically look like industrial hardware for, Oh yeah. Um, I mean, there's a place for them. I mean, there's a reason they're made that way, but yeah. um, I think what I was getting at is that uh, that material, like I really, it drives me nuts that people, uh, not people that, that there's this perception that people want something. And so it's fine if we just give them the appearance, the illusion of it, that's fine. Yes, I <clears throat> I would agree with you on that because I think um, oh man, there's like there's a whole generation of people who actually don't have to interact with other people and how they appear on a two dimensional screen becomes really important to them, which is to say that they specifically make themselves, they design how they appear to other people to be optimized for a two dimensional presentation as opposed to a three dimensional presentation, which is makes sense, I guess. Sure. No judgment there. Just like it's a thing that people do. I wonder what those same people look like in three dimensions when you encounter them in person. Do you know what it kind of feels like? I I don't know if you spent a lot (laughs) of time. Tangent. Yeah. Well, no, it reminds me of, um, I spent a lot of time around theater when I was in high school Mm -hmm. and, um, there's theater makeup that you wear. Yeah. When you see someone two feet from their face, it looks ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's fine when you get used to it, but the yes. first time you're like, what is that on your eye? And why do you have those white dots? And what's that thing going on around, around your mouth? And what is this? Like who wears make? Like, what yeah. are you doing? You're yeah. wearing makeup and you look like a crazy, you person. look and you look a little bit clownish. Right. But then when you see them on stage, you're like, oh, that makes way more sense from here. I don't notice the absurdity of it. It mm-hmm. accentuates and it makes it very much easier for me to see what's going on because I can see the actor's faces from much farther away. Right. Yeah. Cause the points are marked out. Yep. Um, and so it just kind of reminds me of that, right? Like you're kind of creating this like facade yeah. because now you've, now you're dealing with the barriers that are between you. It's like, well, now we see each other through this like digitized like tube because the internet series of tubes, obviously. a series of tubes. Um, David Foster Wallace wrote about that. I think we've talked about this, you and I, about how he made a footnote in the um, the Infinite Jest about the amount of time and energy that people poured into creating their what we now call avatars, uh-huh. um, and like how it just it kind of like became recursive and it ate itself. Uh-huh. And so, like people would spend a little bit of time, like like it just became like a a snowball effect where initially people would just get better lighting Mm -hmm. and then they were like lighting and all this makeup and then they were getting cosmetic surgery and they were hiring people to present as themselves Uh and like, and then those people started, you know, whatever. I'm not doing it justice. It's a, I don't think I've ever laughed harder at a book than when I read that section of that book. But um, I get what you're saying about the stage makeup and I, I, it's, I mean, it's interesting, right? Cause like, I think in the face of it, you understand why one individual is doing that situation, yeah. but it, on the whole, you're like, but this is a bad situation. Like, where's the looking at the overall picture and uh-huh. understanding the consequences? More like, yeah, more backer. <laughs> Look more backer than that. Backer upstream. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. 
tangent. Where were we talking? Oh, uh, we were talking about like space design. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, um, uh, I, one of the things that I look for when I look for things that have been designed is like, oh, what was the, what was the highest good here? Or what was the problem that we were trying to solve or what we were trying to achieve by making this thing? Um, and why I think space design is so exciting is that up until now, Things have been designed, and we talk about this in the other podcast that we did about the Space Health Innovation Conference that we attended. Yeah. Um, all that stuff it, that goes into space and comes back, mm-hmm. like all that stuff is designed just to get you up there without killing you. Right. Like it's real basic. Yep. I mean, it's not basic. It's very complicated. But the the goal is like, let's just not blow anybody up. Right. I mean, there's, there's like kind of a... Um, that sort of like diagram of the like important needs, right? And a lot of the things that we would take for granted as like being comfortable and things like that are like really low on the list of things. It's like right. number one priority is that you come back alive. Yeah, number two priority is while you're up there, you can continue to do the task that we're trying to attempt. Right. Right. I mean, a lot of them are like, you're going to be going to space and then you need to do this thing. Like you need to make this repair or whatever. Yeah. And so, um, it's geared around, it's prioritized by like, like the drive for, um, you know, creating a good sleeping condition is not because we want people to feel good. I mean, which I, we I, do, I, but that's we not do, the point. But the in point this case. is that, like, the the objective on the piece of paper is going to be about the mission. Um, the mission and raising the performance of the person and being like, okay, like they need to be able to sleep a certain at a certain quality level in order to maintain over a period of time in order to continue functioning and doing the mission. Right. Um. Yeah. So I'm what I'm really interested in, and so are you, I think, yeah. is like revising a lot of the extant design in space. Mm-hmm. And instead of designing for, okay, just let's not blow anything up and let's make sure this stuff works when it's up there. Right. I kind of think of this as like, um, you know, we've got the spaceships are essentially like a Flintstones car wheel. Sure. You know, and all the stuff that gets used up there and all the design um, that we've carried f- from decades past like there are certainly people doing cutting edge shit that's amazing like spacex but what i'm talking about is like stuff that's on the international space station that's been used for years right and the the purpose of it was a very objective purpose and when you start to look at these things subjectively like the example that was cited to us when we were at this conference was using velcro on everything because um well it, it has a lot of benefits and um, good qualities that make it super suitable for using in space, except that mm-hmm. you get really dried out fingers. And when you constantly have to be rubbing human flesh against Velcro over and over and over with any kind of fastener that you yeah, normally interact really with, abrasive. it becomes very abrasive and you end up with like bloody stumps on your fingers. Right. I mean, I think well, I forgot how she described it, but she essentially said there was a lot of um, finger wounds, basically. Yeah. Like, it, was a con- it was an issue that uh, most astronauts suffered from right. one, one way or another. Exactly. It's a yeah. constant problem. And it's like, oh, man, if I could solve this upstream, all these people wouldn't have this really annoying problem. Right. And so redesigning the things that are there with a different highest good in mind. So mm-hmm. like not just the lowest common denominator of it won't kill you and it will function in space right, or in right, microgravity, right. but also the added layer or requirement won't give you bloody fingers. Right. Right. And, and those, um, I, yeah, I mean, there's I think a lot of that stuff. There is a lot which of that is why stuff. I think it's so exciting. <laughs> I think it is exciting. And it's also kind of, um, I think in a roundabout way, one of the things I was trying to kind of get at with, um, 
consumer product design is that feedback loop, right? So, um, you know, the first couple of missions, it was like Velcro probably made sense and they also weren't up so long that they were having that particular issue. Yeah, and um, finally somebody was like, if I get one more bloody fucking finger right. from this Velcro, uh, yeah. why do we even have this Velcro? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And so you're, and, and then also like, you know, the mission changed, right? Like now there's these sustained mm-hmm. periods of time that people right. are living on the space station for six months or longer, but yes. generally around six months, I think is my understanding. Yeah. It's a typical and, tour. Um, when that stuff was designed initially, it was designed to be touched maybe several times over several days. Well, more than several times, but for yeah. several days and then you come back down from space. Right, right. And so now they're solving new problems, right? It's right. like, what does sustained human life in space look like? And now it looks, you know, and, and then it's like, oh, the environment that we've created that was great in the short term is bad in the long term. Right. Like the Velcro. And I think that's kind of the problem with yeah. the um, consumer product issue because you're you know, I mean, for sure, looking at the period of time from, say, the Industrial Revolution until now, it's been a very short period of history. I mean, there are people who are basically, you know, it's like one generation for some people, right? Maybe two. Um, It's not, uh, there isn't, um, we need a faster process to get feedback sooner, possibly, you know, to solve part of it, at least to solve part of that problem. I'm not saying... I'm not, but in order to listen to that feedback, you'd have to give a shit about what people's opinions about your product were, and if you know they're going to be forced into buying it anyway. Well, I mean, that's the way you shortcut it, right? Is yeah. it's like, is it cheaper for me to just tell people what to buy, or is it like, is it easy? Is it laziness, or is it cost effective? Like, what is it? And so, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of, I'm not saying this is a solution. I'm just suggesting that potentially what is the problem. <laughs> just potentially, potent, I'm just suggesting that potentially there may be. Um, if, if there are ways to, uh, accelerate that development cycle that mm-hmm. includes the feedback process, right? So, yeah. And I think there's going like to have to be like closing the loop a little bit and, and getting more. And, and it's not, it's also a problem of like, how do you digest that information? Because oftentimes product development is like this compromise of, you know, it's like the way like clothing sizes work, mm-hmm. right? It's like, I'm not. I'm not a large or an extra large. I'm somewhere just, a, or I'm not, I'm not an extra large or a double extra large. I'm a little bit in between, right? Typically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but that's my problem, <laughs> right? I mean, ideally the designers would be like, oh, well we make all our shirts for Ned. So that's size normal. And then you're either, how far away are you from, from Ned? Ned? Then my What's life your standard is great. Ned deviation? Right? right. And so, um, I think what I'm getting at is that it's, there's, there's many problems in product design. I mean, mm-hmm. something like a pen is less, um, can be more universal. I mean, typically most people are able yeah. to, you know, adapt to, you know, you have a, to design for logistics too. Like, sure, well, you make all these pens and how yeah. are you going to get them to people? You right. can't move them one at a and time on a pillow. You know, I think that's kind of, um, where, uh, you know, not to single out China, but sort of overseas manufacturing or just sort of our current state of manufacturing mm-hmm. has, um, kind of fucked us on that front because it's like, you know, I get that pen with those 15 extra stupid plastic parts that don't do anything other than add some different coloring or whatever. Like someone created that because they're like, well, this will sell more. And then someone who manufactured it, some manufacturer was like, yeah, we can make that no problem. And that's going to add you like, how many do you want? Well, if you get enough of them, then your cost isn't going to change that much. Right. From their point of view, because mm-hmm. plastic injection molding is like once you've got it set up, 
your your per part cost is real low. And that's where and that's the bread and butter of a lot of these manufacturing out these companies, right? They want those high volume orders. They want to be like, okay, how many parts do you want? Great. Like, you know, pay us a big chunk of money right now. Yeah. Get your parts for super cheap. And so um I think what I'm getting at is that uh there's it's it's easy to be lazy in design in that regard. They weren't, you know, whoever designed that pen didn't have to look at cost saving measures of being like, Hey, let's keep it to a more simple mold. Let's keep it to fewer parts. Let's keep it to a less assembly cost. They were like, Nope, this is fine. Like the difference between having four plastic injection parts that are assembled and 20 is not that big of a deal to us compared to how many we expect to sell because we have these extra parts. Um, and so you end up with things like that. And, and then also, I just think, I mean, there's no, you know, a lot of times the feedback loop on stuff is really how it looks because the person making the decision is not the one who's using the pen, right? They're yeah. the one, they're the one who's making the purchase. The one who's like, this looks right. I want our company to look like these look desirable and it's a one-off thing anyway. So this is what I want to put my brand on. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of that, that process. And it's like, they're also, I think, um, just to kind of bring it back to like what you were talking about earlier about, um, you know, when we first started the episode and you were talking about like how design is like anyone is a designer who is creating in any way yeah, or making decisions about how something should be. Yep. And that's something where I think that, um, we would do better to have more people aware of their power to be influencing the design of something when they're doing it. It's like these decisions matter. Mm-hmm. But again, there's that issue of like, so many people find themselves so taxed in a situation that you're overrun by decision fatigue. And you're like, I don't have time to decide what kind of goddamn pen it's going to be. Just pick the first one on there. And then, you know, through other, some other marketing mechanism, someone's like, Hey, I got a pen for you. And they're like, that looks great. Put my label on it. And at no point did any of those people involved think beyond their immediate need, right? One person was like, I need a pen with our brand on it. Another person was like, I need to sell as many pens as I can. And then someone else was like, well, I need to make as many pens as I can because that's how I get paid. And at no point were any of those people thinking like the manufacturer didn't push back and say, Hey, this is a stupid pen design. Yeah. It's going to hurt people. It's going to hurt us in the long run. Right. Um, not to just harp on pens, but oh my God, I have a lot of thoughts about pen design. Um, <laughs> we could do a whole episode just on pen design. Yeah. We in fact, we, yeah, we may have to. Yes. Um, my, mine is the Le Pen. Oh, definitely. I think we're in strong agreement there. Yeah. Um, I think when we, we kind of stumbled upon that and it was like, this is a pretty perfect pen. This is, there's, I can never have another pen ever again. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Ruined, like, ruined another pen. Right. Yeah. Actually I'm, I'm for hy- hyperbolic statements and absolutes. Yep. So I yes, am always absolutely. going to only use Marvie's Le Pens from now on. All right. Um, how long have we been talking on this podcast? Oh, uh, I don't know. Let's see. We should ask the audience. Oh, 54 minutes. Man. We've been going. Um, I look, I, There are no, there's lots of problems. And I think um, what I'm getting at from having this discussion with you is I'm kind of thinking that um, it's definitely good to think about the design choices you make and understand that just because your job title isn't designer or you went to school for something else entirely doesn't mean that you're not influencing design around you all the time, like designing things for your life yeah, Um, and other people's lives. Like you're making decisions. If you have any kind of job, you're making a decision about something, I'm sure. Yeah, and I if you encounter bad design, like I urge you to either find better design just so that the quality of your life improves. Yeah. 
Definitely. Or like, you know, I hate that whole like, oh, you should vote with your dollars thing. I have so many problems with that statement, but it's very don't reductive. spend it's money not... on shit that doesn't work right. Like, right. Don't reward bad design because the feedback yeah. loop is usually the money. Right. Well, does people spend money on it or not? They wouldn't have spent money on it if they didn't like it. That's not necessarily That's not true. true. No. So, but regardless, whatever those ulterior motives are, whatever the interpretation is, if there's an exchange of money for an object, that will only encourage more of that object to be created. Right. Um, so don't reward bad, bad objects. Right. Don't, don't encourage the creation of bad objects. Um, I totally wanted to talk about Mark Newson and Bruce Mao, who are my favorite designers. Okay. But we're, our podcast is getting kind of long. Maybe we can cut some of it out. We could, or we just do that, save that for volume two and go ahead and yeah. make one when we, when we meet again for that. Um, yeah. It's not like you're not going to have things to say about them. We can just save them for another one. Okay. Specifically, I wanted to think about Bruce Mao's Incomplete Manifesto for Growth, which was published with designers in mind to try and help. And this completely changed my thinking about almost everything that I was doing. Well, I think, I mean, I think that deserves an episode where we could actually talk about it and yeah. share a lot of the information or, I mean, I always, I, I'm, you know, as we make these, I start to think about, um, why people might want to be listening to them and what they might be looking yeah. for. And I'm, I, I think about, you know, speaking of design, it's like, um, these podcasts are obviously a, a work in progress. Like we're constantly refining and trying to, um, think about the information we're sharing with mm-hmm. the people who are listening. Um, and in this case, like I'm, I'm you know, I, I think about, um, does there need to be a balance? Do people want to, are people mostly just interested in, um, some kind of drama that we can create in the sense of like ridiculous statements that, you know, that was a funny joke. That was a funny joke. Like the sort of, sort of, no, we tell jokes. Niche, we, like, we have great stories. We do have great stories. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I think I enjoy your stories. And so I very much enjoy hanging out and having uh, conversations with you. I'm just thinking about, um, in the long term, is there val- like, are people listening because they appreciate having some spark of imagination? It's like, Oh, I didn't know about that. Or I have, I have strong thoughts about that. I don't know. I'd like, I'd like that they're talking about that. I mean, I mostly imagine that people who are going to stick around are people who aren't, um, they're not looking for reinforcement in their particular opinions. Sure. They're hopefully just looking to hear about, you know, listen to people discuss things and debate whether, you know, what, what the nature of reality is. Yeah. Um, I kind of think of like, I kind of think of this podcast as like in Pee Wee's Playhouse, how he had the weird little toy shelf on the wall that was like round and it had a bunch of different tiers, a bunch of different toys on it. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is just like a. Just pull something down and see what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a wind up chattering teeth. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> today. Today. Tomorrow yeah. it's going to be. Right. Tomorrow it's tomorrow it's a toy rocket ship that we're going to, you know, um, pick apart and look and see how it works. Yeah. But, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, good. Then we'll do volume two. We'll maybe do yeah. our design volume two. We'll do on designers or something. But yeah. there's just design is just so inescapable and so pervasive right and the whole thing that got us bitching about things in the first place was like god why doesn't this thing work or like why did why would anybody design this this way or obviously the person who designed this never intended to actually use it themselves right or and like uh it can't it's inescapable to me that there are ethical 
ethical choices attached yeah. to all of these design choices. Like there right, are ethical right. outcomes attached to all of these design choices. Yes. And so yeah. that's what got me interested in design was working right. backwards from, well, this is terrible and it's repetitively terrible. Right. Do the people know who made this that it's causing this much pain and suffering? Right. Oh, they do. Oh, well, then they, they're. Yeah. Fuck those guys. Fuck those guys. Yeah. You know. Um, anyway, so uh, yeah. there's going to be plenty of podcasts about design, I think. Absolutely. Um, okay. Well, I mean, since we're kind of coming to the end, yeah. do you have any uh, tips you want to share? Ooh, let me think here. Um, my tip for will- <laughs> living well in hell um, is... Well, before you get to that, it did occur to me too also that p- part of the problem of the consumer culture. Yes. Um, another solution for it would be to have a really strong waste management program. Yeah. In the, and I don't, I mean, we have waste management programs. We're not talking not, about like haul this garbage bag no, over here, bury I mean, this thing over here. Like our current waste management program is a wonder to behold. I mean, it's in a sense, right? I mean, it's a logistic problem and there's a yeah. huge amount of waste, but, um, I'm talking more in the sense of like, like matter re recycling, right? Mm -hmm. Like recycling beyond like, Oh, like, you know, you take this here and there's this huge like energetic process that has to happen in order for it to be recovered. If, if that were more efficient, um, and our ability to manipulate matter into shapes that we want on demand, and then also restock that matter when it was used up and not have it be, um, so wasted. And now it's just a, then, then we're going to lower, then the problem of a consumer culture is going to shift. Right. Yeah. But that's also, yeah, anyway, that's a whole nother discussion. Whole like other I feel way. like I'm opening doors of like, well, you know, what does capitalism mean? And is it okay for people to hoard particular resources? And what does that look like? And how does it mean mm-hmm. to, you know, at mm-hmm. what point do we all like, what's fair? What's not fair? What's, what's a good way to govern people? What's a good way to tell people what to do? Like, <laughs> what does how it all I, mean? What does it all mean, man? What is reality? Even? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I have, I had, this is, um, something. Yes. My so, tip for tip, living well in hell today please. is, uh, leave things better than you find them. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And that can be, you know, um, something as simple as like putting a lid back on a jar that was a jar so that whatever's inside of it doesn't dry out. Something right. really mundane and pedestrian and simple yep. like that. Or like cleaning up a park or, um, redesigning a thing that gives people bloody fingers. Right, right. Can you imagine what a fucking hero you would be if you eliminated the problem of persistent bloody stumps for everybody on the International Space Station? Right, exactly. I yeah. mean, my God. Yeah. So, yeah, just leave things better than you find them yeah. because it may not be much on a day-to-day basis, but when you look back over a lifetime of minor improvements, I just find that when I feel otherwise powerless and somewhat hopeless in the face of things falling apart and not working right and sea levels rising and the planet burning down. I just think, well, at least I made some little movement in the opposite direction from that. (laughs) Right. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Yep. Leave things better than you find them. All right. Thank you.